Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me for this episode is my co-host, Fleet Master Chief Retired Paul Kingsbury, who's also on the outreach team. He's my partner down there in the Hampton Roads Detachment, and he's the editor of the most recent edition of the Chief's Guide, and we're working on the Petty Officer's Guide. Is that Where is that in the production process, Paul? Oh, it's uh, so we're kind of the draft manuscript is done. So now we find ourselves in this kind of peer review and and review process. Right. So is the content right? Socializing it, not that it hasn't been already to some of the target audience, but bouncing off some of the, um, you know, peer review and other reviews that Tom Cutler and I have. have. So I've got some of that initial feedback. Um, So I'm making those adjustments. So hopefully within the next month or so, we can get it into the formal publication process. And then we think it'll be on the streets when? So I'm anticipating, so it takes about 10 or 11 months once you get into that process. So probably the fall of next year is when it'll be formally released. Okay. So uh, listeners, we'll keep you posted on that. That's a a cool new reference pub that's coming out that Paul has uh, spearheaded uh, over the last couple of years now. Um, so this is uh, really kind of a game changer for us down on the press side. So good, good stuff happening there. Um, I happened to wander through Beach Hall this week as we're starting to get geared up for this season's sponsored student membership program. Um, I have a tracking device that I call the Ouija board, which is uh, an homage to flight deck handlers fleet wide. Yeah. Remember you walk into flight yep. deck control. If you mess with the Ouija board, you're in big trouble. Um, yes. so I have a Ouija board, you know, we were using Google spreadsheets and some other stuff to track the progress of what, uh, our CEO Pete Daly calls the firing chain to get the sponsored student membership gifts delivered to various NROTC units and, uh, Naval Academy and Coast Guard Academy companies. Um, and so, uh, this is, uh, a process that has a, you know, a number of steps and it's a cool program that we've done since 2012. So anyway, I was in beach hall to grab, um, this these boards that I use for tracking with with magnets and and different things like that, and I uh, looked out my window and looked down at the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center progress, and it's pretty amazing. You know, this thing's yeah, coming so together. Yeah, so I haven't been there in a while. It must look pretty good, huh? It, it really does. So they they've um, started working up, and you can start to get the shape of the building. There's a real feel for how the building is going to be shape wise. Um, so that's very exciting. So while we've been dealing with COVID work from home situations and, you know, I ran into some of our teammates on the fourth deck there for the first time in some weeks, the head of our events team, April and, uh, and Dave Barber, who's our IT lead. So it's good to see humans, you know, they were wearing masks and we were yep. socially distant, but it makes you realize just what we're missing here as we're all working from home, like the rest of the country. So we're eager to return to normalcy like everybody else. But what hasn't been affected, because it was declared as essential work from the get-go by Governor Hogan, is the progress on the construction of the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center. So we're on track to have a ribbon-cutting January-February time frame of 2021. Um, we'll have to see what form that's allowed to take in terms of gatherings and whatnot, because we're certainly not going to be out of the woods in terms of a vaccine or whatever by that time. But it's a morale boost. 
right? And uh, once we yep. get out of the woods here, um, there will be a new Naval Institute. We'll have what we call a home field. So if you're looking for a place to do a unit offsite or if you need to do an event, this is something you need to keep in your matrix in terms of venues going forward if you're talking summer 2021 fall 2021 or beyond this is something you're you know very cool uh location on the naval academy grounds both on the grounds but not right there in the center of the yard so um it's like the best of both worlds and we're going to be doing more and more events um and all kinds of stuff including stuff that'll be primarily faced at, facing the enlisted part of our membership base. And so that's uh, a lovely segue to our guest. All right. Hey, Ward, it's my pleasure to introduce today uh, Mass Chief Justin Gray. He's assigned to Navy Region Mid-Atlantic under Commander Navy Installations Command. He's a Region Mass Chief there. Uh, like me, before he got into the Command Mass Chief pro uh, program, he was part of the Naval Nuclear Power Program. And his tours there, he was on USS California when we had those new cruisers back then. And I was on the USS Mississippi when they had those two. So he was on Abraham Lincoln, and then he was on Dwight D. Eisenhower. That was my first nuke tour as well. Uh, and then he also did three instructor tours up at uh, Boston Spa, and uh, he also did one at the Submarine Learning Facility in Norfolk. Uh, and right, uh, he's a graduate, of course, of the Senior Enlisted Academy, and he holds a bachelor's degree of science in human resource management and from the New School University, and he's got a master's degree in systems engineering from Old Dominion University. Justin, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. How's everything going with you? Uh, everything's going uh, pretty well down here in uh, sunny and rainy Norfolk, still in uh, health protection condition Charlie's. I've been talking to not just you, but others around there and the impact. It looks like you guys are managing to the extent you can. There's a lot of controls in place with COVID-19, but uh, what's the general pulse of the fleet that you're hearing? Uh, general pulse of the fleet uh, is pretty good. I mean, everybody's kind of got COVID fatigue, if you will. Uh, certainly, uh, folks would like to go out to a restaurant and have have uh, dinner with their family, but uh, we're we're managing. Everybody's coping. Um, welcome back to the Dwight D. Eisenhower Strike Group, who came home last week and is uh, dealing with COVID nineteen for for the first time. Yeah, record-breaking cruise there, seven-month deployment. So, like you said, Master Chief, second that sentiment. Welcome back, Ike. I cruised on Ike. In fact, Paul, you and I were both on Ike at the same time, weren't we? Back in the day, we did cruise on Ike. It was Ike. Yeah. So, hey, uh, Justin, you had a piece that was published, uh, you know, in this month's uh, edition of Proceedings Magazine. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, you know, I posted it on the Command Master Chief, uh, some of the Facebook pages there. But it really got into time to talk about the tail and a focus on a lot of things in the Naval Installation Commands, um, Bailiwick, facilities, MWR, and the impacts those are have. So before I get into that, I wanted to give a quick background on, you know, I was a Region Master Chief a couple of times, but many people may not be familiar with Commander Naval Installations Command, but that command was established in October of 2003. It's an echelon two command, so they uh, the admirals a direct report to the Chief of Naval Operations and basically, they're responsible for the operation and management of all naval installations worldwide through 11 regions that are distributed around. So prior to the creation of CNIC, right, a lot of that funding flew through the fleet commanders, Atlantic Fleet and Pacific Fleet. Um, and it led to like a hodgepodge of installation operating procedures. There's incompatibility in procedures and policies, differences in policies. And then there was also these funding issues. 
as the fleet back then, from what I was told, um, would often have to make choices to prioritize operational readiness needs over shore infrastructure. So even back then, you saw, you know, uh, challenges with housing, base infrastructure, and things like that. So they established CNIC, and the the intent was to establish a single shore installation management organization to focus on making the installations better and improving, you know, their ability to support the fleet. Um, but we fast forward, maybe some improvements were made, they got reorganized, but clearly there's some work to be done. So as you talk about in your article, the, the introductory paragraph, sailors are often referred to as the center of our universe and the asymmetrical advantage in a conflict. However, the conditions in which they live and work are chronically underfunded. So with that, I'll throw it over to you. What prompted you to write this article? Who's your target audience? And basically, what's the bottom line with your message? So the the reason I wrote this article is um, nobody really talked about shore infrastructure and and it's really not important uh, until it is right and it's not it's not sexy nobody really kind of uh, and and nothing in our nothing in our careers prepares us to work in the shore I mean uh, you and I both both did lots of ships uh, instructor tours and you don't really understand the shore business until you're in it as a command master chief or an installation commanding officer. And so you, you have a pretty steep learning curve to get ready uh, to understand the business uh, of how things are, are run here. And the, the reason I wrote the article was um, some education to the different types of uh, MWR, but also to kind of educate folks on why sometimes the buildings look like they do or um, to educate educate people on the fact that leaders are having to make really hard choices in a budget-constrained environment between things that contribute directly to operational readiness, i.e. a pier or a, a corrosion control facility for an aircraft uh, versus uh, a new barracks or new windows for your office building. Um, those are the kind of decisions that uh, folks in the CNIC enterprise are, are having to make daily so uh, I just wanted everybody to understand that uh, everybody's doing the best they can with, with what they're, what we have, but it's, it doesn't ever go far enough. Yeah, I agree. And I, like I said, I had experience as region master two times. And to your point, they sent us specifically to a course on learning shore installation management because the way it's run, the lines of effort, the funding, it's all different. It's a different language. And, and many people don't understand that. Um, it's also a service industry, right? So we provide a lot of services to a lot of different stakeholders, not just active duty sailors, but retirees, uh, family members, right? So you're dealing and in, with a lot of different stakeholders. And just like any service industry, right, it's like uh, pretty thankless, right? You hear a lot of what's wrong, not a lot of, hey, thanks for what's going right. So I thought it was a great article. It gave a lot of great information on how the shore is basically funded and some of the current challenges, um, you specifically covered three areas. There's a lot more in the shore. So you dove into unaccompanied housing, working capital fund, and MWR. Um, and you stated, hey, we're taking risk in the shore by diverse, diverting most of the Navy's budget to deployable units right now. Um, and those impacts on quality of work and quality of life ashore. Why did you focus on these three specific areas? And then you can can you give some more insight and examples on the outcomes you're seeing and hearing about in those areas? Obviously, the the unaccompanied housing uh, is a direct impact to our most junior sailors. Uh, we house the E1 to E3 sailors and the E4 that are with less service 
the E1 to E3 personnel, they, they don't have a choice about where they, where they live, uh, especially shipboard sailors. They're, they're not authorized by law to receive basic allowance for housing. So right. it's critical that we um, provide them a good place to live. And uh, the, the chronic underfunding of, uh, resulted in having to close a couple of barracks uh, particularly at uh, Naval Air Station Oceana, we've had to close two of the barracks out there, which has drastically reduced the number of uh, rooms that we can provide. Since I wrote this article in in January, uh, our sustainment controls were uh, 343 million for for Sonoma, but we ended up as of today with uh, over 100 million in cuts from that budget. So our final number was only 239 million to sustain all of the infrastructure on all 13 of our installations. So it's it's been a uh, tough. Uh, UH is a uh, is still a priority. We have uh, we've been trying to find rooms to house the Eisenhower Strike Group. They just came back from their record breaking deployment, and we wanted to give them a place to live off the ship. Um, so we've been able we've been able to house about half of those folks. Had had those buildings out at Oceana been open, we could have housed all. Of them. What about working capital fund? So uh, the Working Capital Fund and Naval Facilities Command dissolving their Working Capital Fund, they became the same budget submitting office as as uh, CNIC. So we've basically had to mash together two different um, computer networks and systems doing business. The premium that NAFAC used to charge on the electricity was used to maintain the infrastructure for utilities, you know, steam and electricity. And, and now those projects are competing with building a unaccompanied barracks. Uh, they all compete for the same scarce no con dollars um, as every other project. So that, that adds another layer of, of challenge to getting things built um, here on the installation. Yeah. And that's a power bill. I mean, yeah, utility bill is expensive. Oh, absolutely. I I, I want to say that uh, our our utility bills in, at the region Midland are in, are definitely in the millions uh, every month. Okay, and then one that resonates with a lot of stakeholders. This one clearly MWR goes inside and outside of the gate. Talk to us a little bit about MWR impacts. So MWR impacts are are big because um, as the appropriated funds go go are more scarce. It is uh, over to the non-appropriated funds to kind of prop up a lot of those operations. So non-appropriated funds are are the revenue generated from um, buying sodas at the at the movies or paying for your round of golf. Um, that revenue kind of pays for those operations um, to go. And as you might imagine, COVID nineteen has had a huge impact. So yep. it's it's really uh, exacerbated that whole that whole problem. Um, and then we continue to be challenged by uh, trying to get out of the traditional mindset of what what category of uh, MWR operations that we need to, to run. Uh, your average junior sailor doesn't play golf. Your average junior sailor uh, only goes to a bowling alley if it's attached to an arcade or an escape room. Um, right. So continuing to operate those particular um, facilities at a loss uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But people like you and I, who maybe like to bowl or play around a round of golf, um, 
get kind of emotional when we talk about shutting those things down. So um, it's, a, it's a balance to try to find where do I spend those scarce MWR dollars to get the best benefit for our junior active duty sailors and their families. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to come at a cost to kind of some of the things that the retiree community likes to likes to do. So are we actually talking about shutting down the golf course at Oceana? Is that on the table? So what we we don't want to shut them down. We're looking at regionalizing um, the maintenance because we have golf courses on three different installations here. We have uh, Oceana and Little Creek and Sewell's Point. But Oceana has a 36-hole golf course, and you know, do we need to run all 36 holes? I, I don't know. That's a, that's a question that we're debating right now. It is on the table, but whether or not we close it or not is, is definitely not a decision that's been made. The answer is yes. We need all 36 holes. <laughs> <laughs> I've played that course many times. So remember, I was homesteaded at Oceana for 15 years. So... Uh, yeah, that's a great place. But of course, you know, these dollars, like we said, what are the sailors using? I am an old retiree. So, you know, my priorities are not the fleet priorities, but it'd be a shame to see any of those facilities because all three of the courses you name are, are beautiful and different each one, but it would be a shame to start, uh, you know, nibbling at those things. So Ward, that's kind of the intent of CNIC, right? It was to gain efficiencies in the shore. So obviously there's still examples where it's inefficient, right? So maybe there is an efficiency to gain. Um, the other point I would make that we often discussed was, you know, a lot of these bases were built in a different time and age, right? When sailors didn't have cars, family social lived on the base. You needed, you know, there wasn't a lot outside the base, at least family environment stuff. We know what Norfolk used to look like outside the base, right? Um, but over time, the community structure has grown, right? So you have access to bowling alleys and all these kind of things that maybe you didn't in a prior time. So there is some redundancy back and forth. So I think one of the things that I used to hear discussed was, hey, what are the partnerships we can get with the public sector outside the door? Um, obviously, family housing showed that you've got to keep an eye on those things as well. You're right in that the... American lifestyle has changed. Expectations of your average sailor has has changed. They they don't think of themselves as just sort of confined to the base in terms of entertainment, et cetera, right? Uh, but the other thing, back to golf yep. courses, I know that golf courses' health ebbs and flows with who the CO is and who the tenant admiral is. Um, and, and so, you know, if, if the CO or the resident flag is not a golfer, um, generally, the MWR funds go other places. If he or she is a golfer, then the lion's share of MWR funds go to, you know, rebuilding greens or redoing the bunkers or getting the practice facility squared away, you know. And so is that fair to your average sailor? Um, probably not, you know. Um, but uh, in a selfish way, it sure is nice to have a, a nice golf facility nearby, the dynamics have changed and only about 10% of all of the sailors in Hampton Roads live in and around uh, family housing. So that means 90% of our sailors drive out the gate and they drive into some community to, to go home every day. So that's where they get their services from. So not any of them come back to the base to, to go bowling, right? They, they'll go to the bowling alley that's in Virginia Beach near their house. And I think one thing that doesn't change is, you know, as a young sailor, I know we 
you and I grew up on living on the ship, right? So now at least they can get onto the barracks. But I didn't want to hang on the ship, right? When work was done, the last place I wanted to be there, I was out in the town with my buddies and we were looking for a place to go, staying with, you know, going out and hanging with people that lived out in town. So I don't think that's changed. But uh, so let's get into this. Uh, you mentioned, right? So I, my senses, and I think you're saying that uh, from the commanding officer level all the way up to the vice admiral, they're making hard decisions with the money they're they're constrained with, right? This is a money problem. And part of it may just be getting better at communicating the why behind the decisions. And I think this is why this discussion is good. But part of the challenge is communicating the deck plate impact that you're talking about up to the strategic, political, policy decision makers. Um, for example, Mick Pond, one thing he does, he gets to testify in front of Congress on quality of life and work concerns and impacts. And during his last testimony to the House Committee on Appropriations and the Subcommittee on NOCON and VA and Related Affairs, he testified in February of last year. He brought up his two top concerns were child care and installations. Um, so I think he's hearing what you're saying, and that's getting translated up. Um, are you seeing any positive impact from as a result of testimony? And I know he's not the only one making that. Um, where are we making improvements and where are we not? So, uh, great question. I, I do believe that Mick Pond understands the, the problem and, you know, we've been taking risk in the shore for about 10 to 15 years now. So, um, that risk is being realized in the, in the condition of the facilities. Um, I think, uh, childcare, uh, is certainly, uh, something else that CNIC does. It's, uh, installation commanding officers run those child development centers and, um, and those are even more important now as we're looking at schools not opening uh, due to the COVID environment and how do we kind of help uh, families through that time. So people are hearing it, but at the end of the day, the, the budget is what the budget is. And, and uh, we're not seeing any infusion to correct these problems. But I think uh, anything you can do to raise awareness to the fact that um, that these that our leaders are are having to make tough decisions and and they are correctly choosing uh, operational platforms over office buildings, um, but it's still it's a it's a zero sum game. We're not getting any more uh, any more funds coming our direction. Yeah. Um, so that prompts another thought I had is another thing we used to discuss when I was in the region master chief role was you got to look at the bases as war fighting platforms too, right? They have operational missions. So a lot, some stakeholders just look at all the family support and the MWR and stuff, but they're operating runways, they're operating um, port facilities, right? They're, they're key enablers of the mission. So that is going to be prioritized on, in the CNIC side over all the other stuff that follows. Is that, is that still being messaged through CNIC? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the, um, Security mission, uh, you know, the gates have to be manned uh, 24-7, harbor security, uh, port ops, air ops, all of those things are, are they do rise to a higher priority level. Um, every year we go through um, billions of dollars worth of projects that we have sitting on the shelf trying to prioritize which ones are, are going to be funded. And every year we have no fewer than 100, no kidding, operational uh, necessity um, projects to compete for milcon dollars and and um, the the reality is no more than thirty of those will ever get funded in any one year 
in these regions basically competing and has to put their priority list up for that. So, um, all right. So what's been the response to your article? Um, I know I shared it on the closed Facebook pages and I thought it was a great example of how a senior enlisted leader or command mass chief can use the forum to inform people and then also bring up the impacts to their people. Um, so what's your advice to senior enlisted leaders on using writing as a tool of influence? So the response has been, it has been positive. I, I did think I was going to have to go to my car in like a zigzag fashion when I threatened to, you know, close golf courses, but it, it was, uh, it's been very positive. And I think uh, the Naval Institute having a forum where, where you can kind of shed light on um, things that aren't really discussed a lot is important. And I'm hoping that the article will, um, get some more interest in, okay, what really is going on in the shore? What's the story? And uh, get some other senior enlisted leaders who, who have a lot of, of, a lot of thoughts on these things. And, and my boss was very supportive of me writing this article um, yep. to get, uh, to get their thoughts out there too. Um, we're in all the same meetings. Uh, we're pretty smart folks. So I think we, this provides us a, a good opportunity to, to get our thoughts out there. And, uh, you know, as well as I do, command mass chiefs, I mean, that's one of your roles, right? This key role that I think sailors expect that is that advocacy role and translating what you see up. It's not just through the chain of command opportunities you have. One of the reasons I started writing was you can penetrate a broad audience of, I'm telling you, we got high policy, political level leaders, flag officers that are reading Proceedings Magazine, they're reading the online content. So if you're frustrated, come into the forum, don't let a lack of skill, don't let a lack of knowledge or you know, thinking you don't have support from your boss has, you know, deter you from writing. It's a great opportunity. And, and I, I would encourage it and I'd like to see more of it from the command management community. So, all right, Justin, any last thoughts on any last points you want to make before we wrap it up here? Uh, so first point I'd like to make is that we're not shutting the golf courses down today. Uh, <laughs> so, so Ward, you can read Ward is celebrating. Uh, oh, thank God. Uh, it's about to freak out. <laughs> Uh, the second point point I'd like to make is that you know there are no victims here. It's it's just it's just math, right? That there's there's hard decisions that have to be made, and there's only so many dollars. So I, I want folks to just recognize that when when the the new gym isn't being built, or when uh, we're struggling to to make sure that um, the barracks stay operational, it's not from a lack of desire. It it's just it's just a math problem. Um, but we are doing the best that we can. Everybody's doing the best they can with what they have. And um, I think that we will continue, or we will definitely continue to advocate for our junior sailors in the UH housing arena to make it a priority when, uh, when we're talking about uh, using those scarce dollars to make sure that we're doing the best we can for the fleet. All right, Justin, well, thanks again for daring to make a difference in the form of the Naval Institute. Check out his article in the August 2020 edition of Proceedings Magazine. It is from the Nobody Asked Me But section, and it's titled Time to Talk About the Tail, Facilities, and MWR. Ashley, Justin Gray, thanks for joining us. Good luck to you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been my pleasure. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll talk to you next time.